turn with me, if you will, uh, to the book of John. We're going to continue our sermon series today going through the book of John. And um, if you have unhindered, that makes more sense. Unhindered is the theme of camped. That makes much more sense than unhinged. Although some people do think we're unhinged for believing in Jesus. I was like, that just doesn't seem quite right. Unhinged. So if you want your kids to go to camp and become unhinged, <laughs> send them on. Some of you like, they already are. Why would I do that? That doesn't make sense at all to me. Um, unhindered. Un- uh, unhindered makes sense. Unhindered to share the gospel. We're going to start over that introduction if you can uh, mark that. I don't know. You can leave it in, I guess. Uh, turn to the John chapter 3. We're continuing our sermon series through the book of John. This is, this is a slow crawl studying uh, the book of John. And I would ask you to do is, is to go back, if you haven't been with us, I, I would think it would be really great for you to go back maybe to that YouTube channel or to those other things and, and listen to some of these sermons to get caught up to where we are. Or, or you could just, I guess, read it for yourselves up till now. That, that works as well. But there's a lot that we're learning, not just through John, but through the entire Word of God. We're basically learning the entire Bible through the book of John. And we're going to spend quite some time doing this. It's going to take us several weeks, if not months, to get through this. And today where we come to is John chapter 3, which is probably one of the most famous passages in the Word of God. And I would say it's probably one of the most foundational passages to uh, the Christian life. So in John chapter 3, and I actually want to back up to John chapter 2, verse 23, because how many know that the, the chapter numbers weren't actually put in there by the writer, right? That was later on for us. I actually believe this part feeds into this section a little better when we back up to chapter 2, verse 23. It says, now, when Jesus was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, many believed in his name. Say believed. Oh, that's so good right there, right? When they saw the signs that he was doing. But Jesus, on his part, did not entrust himself to them because he knew all people and needed no one to bear witness about man, for he himself knew what was in man. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do the signs that you do unless God is with him. And Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time and do his mother's womb and be born? That's why I'm preaching this on Mother's Day. It was a joke. It fell flat. I understand that now. Dad jokes. No dad jokes on Mother's Day. Verse 5. Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I say to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, And you hear its sounds, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Verse 9. Nicodemus said to him, 
How can these things be? Jesus answered him, Are you the teacher of Israel and you do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak, excuse me, we speak, I lost my place completely, of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If you have, if I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. I will pause. Remember that that term Son of Man comes from uh, Daniel's vision of the Son of Man who will defeat all of Israel, right? Or not all of Israel, all of evil. Excuse me. Um, The Son of Man will come and he will defeat all evil. And as Moses lifted up the serpent into the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. We're going to pause right there. First of all, we see that Jesus was talking to a Pharisee. A Pharisee was one of these religious leaders in Jesus' day. And can I tell you something? The Pharisees, uh, they were very staunchly religious. They had rules that they had to follow basically to earn God's approval. And guess what? They had rules to help them keep the rules. For example, one of the rules was you couldn't do work on Sunday. And then they defined that as even like even plucking a gray hair out of your beard would be considered work. And so they made another rule saying you, you shouldn't look into anything shiny on Sunday. Because if you looked into something shiny on Sunday, you might see that gray hair. And if you see that gray hair, you might be tempted to pull that 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 gray hair out. And if, if you do that, then you've done work on Sunday. Now you're no longer holy unto God. They had rules for the rules for the rules. And these were the Pharisees. Josephus, a historian at the time, he recorded that there was probably around 6,000 Pharisees at this time. 6,000. And of the 6,000, we only have one recorded coming to Jesus. Just one. Now, there was one other Pharisee that would come to Jesus later on. Does anyone know who it is? Paul. He was the Pharisee of Pharisees, he said. Paul. But we have here this Nicodemus who came to Jesus, and he came to Jesus by night. Now, that could be because he was afraid to come to Jesus during the day. It could be because night represents the darkness of the soul, or it could just be because he didn't have time during the day. So he went at night. But he comes to Jesus at night, and he has respect for Jesus. He calls him rabbi, which is a respectful term that means teacher. So here's Nicodemus coming to Jesus at night. He has somewhat respect for him. But we have to understand what were the Pharisees of that day. If we look over in Matthew 23, you don't have to turn there, but in Matthew 23, we see the kind of people the Pharisees were. And I'm just going to read you a few highlights out of Matthew 23 where Jesus, he, he so disdains the Pharisees. And let's think about last week. If you, if you missed last week, last week is when Jesus cleared the temple, which is insane to think Jesus just, he made a whip. And then I was talking to my, my stepson about it. And uh, my future stepson, I guess I should say, we're not married yet. We didn't sneak off and get married, just so everyone knows. Um, but I was talking about, it was like, he made a whip and he went into the temple and cleared it out. I said, you know what a whip is? He's like, he's like, 
whipped cream? It's like, you don't know what a whip is? He's like, no. So we had to Google a whip and like, what? But think of how crazy that is that Jesus went into the temple with a whip and cleared it out. That they had allowed the temple to become this thing that wasn't what it was supposed to be. And even though the Pharisees weren't the ones in charge of the temple, it was actually the Sadducees who were in charge of the temple area more. The Pharisees were the ones, the preservers of the tradition who allowed this to happen. And so what does Jesus think about their tradition? He's overturning tables. I mean, if someone came in here and started wrecking the room and tearing up the chairs and everything, that that would be a, a major event. We would talk about it for years. And this is what's happened. Jesus has done something that 2,000 years later we're still talking about. He's overturned the tables, and the Pharisees allowed this kind of tradition to take place. But in, ver- in chapter 23 of Matthew, this is a few things Jesus says about the Pharisees. He says, they preach but do not practice. You ever hear that? Well, he you got to practice what you preach. Jesus actually came up with that. But he said it about the Pharisees. He says, they preach, but do not practice. They tie up heavy burdens, hard to bear, and they lay on them uh, people's shoulders. But they themselves are not willing to lift a finger. Jesus says, they do all their deeds just to be seen by others. He says they make their clothes look great, and they love to have a a place of honor at feasts and the best seats in the synagogues, that's the churches, and and they love to be greeted in the marketplace, and they love other people calling them rabbi or teacher, but they're hypocrites. They travel across the sea and land to make a, a single convert, but when they do convert someone, they make them twice the child of hell as themselves. They're blind guides. It says they'll, they'll tithe just a little bit of seasoning. Tithe is when you give 10%. So they'll get a little bit of seasoning, and they'll, they'll pull out 10%. They'll tithe even the smallest things, but they neglect the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. Jesus actually says these ought to be done, but without neglecting the other. What Jesus is saying is, You ought to tithe. You just shouldn't neglect mercy and faithfulness and justice, which is interesting because I've heard people say, well, Jesus never talked about tithing. He most absolutely did. He said you ought to. But if you think tithing alone is going to make God happy with you, you've missed the boat completely. And that's what these guys were doing. They were doing all these outward acts, but they lacked justice and, and mercy and compassion. He called them blind guides. He said, you'll strain out a gnat, but you'll swallow a whole camel. He says, you'll clean the outside of a a cup, but inside you're full of greed and self-indulgence. You are whitewashed tombs. Outwardly, you appear beautiful, but inside you're full of dead people's bones and all uncleanliness. You're full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. He calls them serpents, broods of vipers, and how do they think they will escape being sentenced to hell? So what does Jesus think about Pharisees? Not a whole lot. He doesn't think much of them at all. And yet, here's one that comes to Jesus by night. 
And what does he say? He says, we know you're a teacher come from God, for no one can do the signs you do. So he, he believes in Jesus, but he doesn't believe in Jesus. Does that make sense? He believes that Jesus is a, from God. He's an interesting guy, but he doesn't believe he's the Messiah come to save the world. And then Jesus says this, truly, truly, I say to you. Now, Jesus says this 25 times in the book of John. Truly, truly, I say to you. What he's doing, he's emphasizing what he's about to say. And in this passage, he says it several times. What he's saying is, you really need to listen to what I'm about to say because it's really important. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Now, to you and me that's grown up in church, we hear that and we're like, yep, that makes sense. To Nicodemus, his brain just broke. See, maybe you never realized this, even if you grow up in church, the Jews thought they were part of the kingdom of God just because they were Jews. I'm a Jew. I'm part of God's chosen people, which is true. They were God's chosen people. So they believe when the Messiah comes, he'll come and he'll lead an army and will take over the world. And the Jews will be God's kingdom. But here Jesus is saying, nope, not all the Jews are part of God's kingdom. What he's saying is, unless someone is what? Born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And Nicodemus at this point is freaking out. This man who I recognize from God is saying that unless I get born again, I cannot see God. And, and this is what I think is really interesting on this, this word born again. Born again. This word again, it, it actually has a couple of meanings. And uh, Brennan actually thought of you for some reason when I was studying this. But it actually means, that word again actually means from above. Now it also means again. So it's like a play on words because he's like, how do I get born again, right? But it also means born from above. He said, unless someone is born from above, he cannot see the kingdom of God. In fact, other places in John where we see this word used in the Greek is actually translated from above. This is the only place we see it translated again. But it also means that, so you know. So unless you're born from above, you cannot see the kingdom of God. Now, let me ask you a question this morning. Actually, let me tell you something, and then I'll ask you something. Um, you've probably grown up seeing pamphlets or books like Five Steps to Being Born Again, right? The word born again, those words were used a lot more when I was growing up. I don't hear them as much anymore now as an adult, but when I was a kid, I heard born again all the time. Born again, born again, born again. Five steps being born again. How can we get people to be born again? What do we need to do to make people be born again? If you pray this prayer, then you will be born again or born from above. But let me ask you a question. In the natural, because that's what Jesus is doing. He's comparing the natural to the spiritual, correct? And it's blowing Nicodemus' mind. He, he's not getting it. What contribution did you have to your own birth? Uh, how many here were born? Okay, all of us, right? 
what contribution did any of us make to our own birth? Nothing at all. You did absolutely nothing to be born. You were just there. And this is what Jesus is saying to Nicodemus. You must be born again. And it breaks his mind in a second way. Wait a minute. I do so much. I'm a Pharisee. I have all these things I do to prove my righteousness, to make me worthy of God. And here what Jesus is saying is to be a part of the kingdom of God. What do you have to do? It's nothing to do with you. It was the will of your parents, not you, that got you here. In fact, if we look over in John chapter 6, and we'll hit John chapter 6 later, so I won't go into it deep now, because I don't want you guys to accuse me me of preaching the same sermons over and over. But I do. Look at John chapter 6, verse 44. It says this. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. It's fathers who give birth and mothers, but we're talking about God the Father that are involved in people being born. No one can come to me unless the Father draws him. It has nothing to do with you and and then let's skip down uh, a few other verses to verse 63 in verse 63 it says it is the spirit who gives life wait what who gives life you mean all your good works gives you life you mean volunteering in the nursery gives you life although we we'd love for you to volunteer in the nursery we need help in there all, your, all the nice things you do for your neighbors, that's what get. No, it is the spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life, but there are some of you who do not believe. Now, I just want to pause here. These are people who are following Jesus because he's doing cool stuff. And Jesus say, like, some of you, you're following me, and you see me do the cool stuff, but you still don't believe. You believe, but you don't believe. Why does it say this? Parentheses. It says, for Jesus knew from the beginning who those were who did not believe and who would betray him. Verse 65, and he said, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it's granted to him by the Father. Then he goes on to say, after this, many of the, the disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. So Jesus said to the twelve, do you want to go away as well? And Simon Peter said to him, Lord, and, and that's, that's the key right there, isn't it? What did he say? Lord. Like, he knew who Jesus was. He believed. He said what? Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. 
This is, this is you. And, and this whole concept of being born again, it's all through the New Testament. 2 Corinthians 5, 17 tells us that if anyone is in Christ, they are a what? New creation. Not just a remake of what they were. It's not just a remix or a better version. They are a new creation. Old things have passed away. All things have become new. I won't tell you these all, but you should write in your notes 1 Peter chapter 1, where it talks about this new creation, this new birth, this newness of life. You should turn to Titus 3 sometime this week and look at that. But look with me in James real quick to James chapter 1. And in James chapter 1, we're going we're gonna to look at um, verse 17. Listen to this. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above. Remember? Unless you're born from above. Remember that? Coming down from the Father of lights, the Father, the giver of life, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change of his own will of his own will he brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creation it was the will of god that we are born again it, it reminds me of what it says in ephesians where it talks about it is by grace we are saved not of works why so that no one can brag or boast how am I saved? It's completely because of God. Not because I was good, not because I went to Sunday school, not because I attend church every Sunday. Like, these are all good things and things we should do, right? Like, we should be a part of a congregation, and, and we should worship together, and we should give, and we should serve. But none of that will ever save you. You're saved by one reason only. It's the will of God. So here's Jesus telling Nicodemus, this Pharisee, that you must be born again. He's, he's essentially telling him, like, you might as well be an atheist or worship a rock. That will make you as qualified to be born again as anyone else. It doesn't matter how religious you are or how anti-religious you are. You need Jesus. You need to believe in him. And, and what's interesting here is that Nicodemus, he's so blown away, and Jesus keeps pressing him. He's like, how are you a teacher of Israel and don't understand? You've got to understand, like, Nicodemus wasn't just a Pharisee. It says he was a ruler of the Jews. He was one of the rulers. There, there was a group of 70 that was like a supreme court over Israel at that time, like a ruling group of 70, and the high priest made 71 to break the vote. And it says that Nicodemus was one of these rulers. He was part of the 70. Not only was he a Pharisee, but he was a well-known, high-respected Pharisee. And here he is with Jesus at night. And Jesus is telling him, all of your good works, they mean squat. In fact, the prophet tells us that all of our righteousness is like filthy 
rags, like menstruation rags is what it actually translates to say, that all of our righteousness is just filthy rags. Paul, when he describes it, he describes his righteousness as dung, which the actual translation of that word in English today would probably be the S word that we're not allowed to say ever. Dung. That's our righteousness as Pharisees, as, as people who try to keep good works. You might as well have been an atheist or worshipped a rock as been super religious and trying to earn your way into heaven because it cannot happen. It's only through the will of God. It's impossible. How did you not know this? Turn with me to Ezekiel. You probably don't go to Ezekiel much. We're going to go to Ezekiel this morning because Jesus is Jesus is now pressing this teacher of the Jews, this leader. And as he's, he's pressing them, he's like, how do you not know this? Why? Because as a teacher of the Jews, he should know the Old Testament. He should know the Old Covenant. Ezekiel chapter 11 I had to give you a little extra time to find Ezekiel. So you're like, yeah, I don't definitely don't go to Ezekiel much. I cheated and went on my phone. In verse 18, it says this. It says, when they come there, they will remove from it all its detestable things and all its abominations. And this is the Lord talking. He says, I will give. Who will? The Lord, right? I will give them one heart. And and a new spirit I will put in them. Who's putting the new spirit in them? It's the Lord. He's the one doing it. I will give them a new heart. I will give them a new spirit. I will remove the heart of stone from their flesh, and I will give them a heart of flesh. He's basically saying, I will make them new. Now go to chapter 36. Staying in Ezekiel. Chapter 36. Let's go to verse 25 here. In verse 25, he says, I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all uncleanness, and from all your idols I will cleanse you, and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put in you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a new heart of flesh, and I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be, and, and be careful to obey my rules. It, it's who's doing all of it is the Lord. He's doing all of it. And he's telling this to Nicodemus. Nicodemus should know Ezekiel. He's a leader. He's a teacher of the Jews. He should know the Old Testament. He should know this. This was their Bible. Saying, how can you not understand this? Later, you can turn to Jeremiah 31, 31. Study that one at home. I'll, I'll skip over it. But he's saying, you will be my people. But it's because of the work I do. Jesus says this, and as, the Moses, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, so that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. If, if you remember the story of, 
of the children of Israel coming out of Egypt. They were slaves. Remember, they were slaves in Egypt, and they crossed on dry ground across the Red Sea, and they get out there, and they're like, all right, we're free. We're not slaves anymore, only to have all these, like, snakes come into their camp and start biting them and killing them because of their sin, right? Because they'd made this promise to God. The Mosaic Covenant, remember, A couple weeks ago, we talked about the different covenants, and one of them was the Mosaic Covenant. The Mosaic Covenant went like this. God, you will be our God, and we will obey you, and you will bless us. But if we don't obey you, what? Things are going to be bad. And they're like, yeah, we want that covenant. Let's go for it. And guess what they continually did? Disobeyed. And guess what continually happened? Things got bad. And so one time, these poisonous, venomous, sorry, venomous, sorry to my snake guys in the room. These venomous snakes uh, came into the camp and was biting them and was killing them. And so God told Moses to, to put a, make a bronze snake and, and put it on a staff and lift it up. And if you were, got bit by a snake, you could look on this staff and you would be healed. Now, you actually see this today. If you look on ambulances and hospitals sometimes, you'll see a staff with a snake rolled around it. And if you've ever thought, that's weird. I wonder why they have a snake on a hospital. Now you know it actually comes from the Bible. You look on it and you are healed. And what Jesus is saying here in this verse, he's saying just like Moses lifted up the snake in the desert, you could look on it and be healed. What Jesus is saying is, I'm going to be lifted up. What's he talking about? He's talking about the cross. He's talking about the cross, that if I be lifted up, then I'll draw all men unto me. If you look at me on the cross, that you will live. If you believe on me, that's what he says here, if you believe, say believe. Verse 15, it says that whoever believes in him will have eternal life. What do you have to do? You just have to believe in Jesus. It's just about belief. And then we get to verse 16, which we all know so well. You knew I was getting there, right? It says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. God's one and only son, his, his begotten son. If you believe in him, you will have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and the people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his work should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. What Jesus is saying here is, and and I can't help but think this has something to do with Nicodemus coming at night to Jesus, right? I'm coming at night. I don't want people to know what Jesus is saying. I'm the light. Remember, we went back to John chapter 1 and said the light had come into the world. What does the light do? It exposes you. It exposes you. Turn on the light, the the cockroaches crawl away. Because they've been exposed. And people who shrink away from Jesus that don't want to believe in his name is because there's something going on in them. They're like, I'm not willing to expose myself to light. But this morning, I'll tell you this. If you believe on his name, what you're saying is, Jesus, I trust you to expose me. 
to shine your light on me, to show everyone what's going on with me. Because how many know that's the only place where true life is? Where's the team, if you could come for just a moment? It's Mother's Day, so I'll try to get us out of here. We also have a baccalaureate this afternoon at Green Forest. And I'm, I'm doing something there. For the sake of time, I'll pass over some of this stuff. But what happens to Nicodemus? Later on in John, we'll see the Pharisees gathered, and what they're trying to do is come up with a plot to have Jesus removed. And in that section, what we see is Nicodemus actually questioning the group, actually saying, well, wait a minute. What about this Jesus guy? And at the end of chapter 19 of the book of John, it says this, after Jesus had died, it says that Joseph of Arimathea, who was a wealthy man, he was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly for fear of the Jews, asked Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus. And Pilate gave him permission. So he came and took away his body. Nicodemus also, who had early come to Jesus by my night, came bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds in weight. So they took the body of Jesus and bound it in linen clothes with spices as the burial custom of the Jews. Now there's a place where he was crucified was a garden in the garden, a new tomb in which no one had yet been laid. So because of the Jewish day of preparation, since the tomb was close at hand, they laid Jesus there. You and I might miss that because in our culture we don't do this, but, but it will probably make sense to you very easily that to bring 75 pounds worth of ointment and myrrhs and, and different spices was a burial for a king. Was there a burial fit for the king? Why did Nicodemus bring all this stuff? Because he believed that Jesus was who he said he was. The only one of 6,000 Pharisees that came to Jesus, that came to believe in Jesus. Will you bow your heads and close your eyes with me this morning? Can I tell you this morning, to be born again is a spiritual thing. It's not something you can make happen on your own. You have to believe in His name. 
You have to believe that Jesus is who he says he is. You have to believe what the Old Testament says about Jesus, that he is the Messiah come to save us from our sin. You have to believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. Whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. This is the gospel this morning. This morning on this Mother's Day, I'd ask you to examine your heart. Can I tell you, this morning I'm intentionally giving no altar call. I don't want you to get up from your seat. I don't even want you to lift your hand. Because nowhere in Scripture does it say if you pray a prayer, you'll be saved. It doesn't say if you'll go up and pray at a church, you'll be saved. It There's nothing you must do this morning besides believe in his name. My dad was saved sitting in a living room. His sinner's prayer was this, yes, Lord. That was it. Yes, Lord. There's nothing you have to do this morning besides believe in his name. So the question is this, have you believed in his name?